have helped me. Uh, I got a lot of ideas tonight from Ricky Jones, who's actually in town down at Redeemer Presbyterian Church, and also from Paige Benton Brown, who used to be on staff with RUF uh, at Vanderbilt. So let's talk about singleness. Yeah, woo, single people in the room. That's every one of you, so you don't have to feel weird about that. Um, let me tell you a little bit of my background. I, was, uh, I went to OU as an undergrad, and I was single uh, throughout undergrad. I, I dated people. I was in several different dating relationships. But I was single, meaning not married, until I was 25, which was quite a bit longer than I intended to be single and quite a bit longer than I wanted to be single. So all of that to say, I know what it's like to be you, okay? And so uh, as I'm talking tonight and you're like, oh, yeah, easy for him to say. He's married. He gets to do all that fun stuff. Uh, I know know acutely uh, some of the pains and the hardships and the difficulties with being single. So just know that. That's kind of my background. If you ever want to talk about any of this stuff, let me know, and we will. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to read the passages tonight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do come to you, and uh, as we open your word, we pray that you would uh, come and speak to us tonight. pray that you would uh, speak through me. Lord, I pray that these wouldn't just be my good ideas, but as we look in your word and gain wisdom from it, that you would lead us not only uh, to be better people, Lord, but I pray that you would lead us to Jesus himself so that he might uh, change us from the inside out. We pray and ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, The first passage we're going to look at tonight is Matthew chapter 19. Okay, that's in the New Testament. And uh, if someone wants to get a page number from the Bible provider, that would be awesome. Just yell it out. I meant to do that a minute ago. Where are we at? 534. 345 if you start in the middle and wrap around. (laughs) Okay, that's an insight into my mind. Um, 534. Here we go. Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse 1, and then we'll go to 1 Corinthians after that. Here we go, 19. Uh, Now when Jesus had finished saying these things, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And the Pharisees came up and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And they said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven." Let the, let the one who is able to receive it, uh, to receive this, receive it. Now turn over, if you would, to 1 Corinthians 7. And someone give us a page number when you get there, beginning in verse 32. 620. Got some sword drills up here. Man, that's fast. Sorry, no one else grew up doing sword drills. Okay, beginning in verse 32, 32 through verse 38. Uh, this is the Apostle Paul here. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties. 
The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried man or betrothed woman is... Uh, the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your individual devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, uh, which is a fancy word for engaged, if his passions are strong and it has... Uh, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, uh, being under no necessity but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then, he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. This is the word of the Lord. Um, As we uh, have come off the last two weeks where... uh, I have been told that I talked very intensely about being a godly man and a godly woman. Uh, Yes, many of you are walking out saying, that just secured the fact that I can never be married because I can never be that man or woman you talked about. Let me kind of wrap this all up and we'll go on. Um, The most important thing I want you to hear from the last two weeks, and if you haven't heard it, you can go on podcasts, again, right up at the top. Um, Just type in Brent Corbin, you can find it. But I want you to hear that, um, look, the most important thing you can do and B, as a godly man or a woman, is someone who is trusting in Christ, who is dependent on the grace of God to be anything at all. Okay? That's it. Uh, and out of those things, uh, you will change. It's an inside-out change. So tonight, now that you, none of you think you can actually be married, let me tell you three myths about singleness. Okay? Three myths about singleness. The first one is this. Singleness is secondary in God's plan. That's a myth. The second one is that singleness is an excuse for selfishness, also a myth. The third myth is that singleness is somehow a test from God. Okay, so let's look at the first one. The first myth about singleness that we're going to look at is that singleness is somehow secondary in God's plan. In other words, many of you in here believe that your current, and for some of you your yet future state of singleness, means that you're relegated to the sidelines of God's plan to bring about redemption and renewal throughout the world. Okay? You think that being single means that you are in some way second string or secondary to God's original intent and His original plan. This may be from several reasons. Perhaps it's due to uh, the Christian subculture, the church culture, uh, and its obsessive over-focus on and catering to the family. Right? It's focus on the family. Now, that's not to knock James Dobson and his organization, but kind of this, this hyper-focus, really, on uh, an attention on the family unit. Or your, your reaction to this may also be from a parent who is constantly berating you and asking you about your dating life. Um, hey, did you grow out with anybody this week? No, Mom. Well, I really think you should date a little more. Uh, thanks, Mom. It's just not happening. Uh, we're, we're kind of made to feel like somehow we're secondary, that we're missing out on something we're supposed to be doing. Or maybe it's even just from the inner feeling of loneliness that you have um, from not going out on dates or not wanting to ask someone out on dates or being asked out on dates, whatever it is. And you're kind of left in your own mind to think, what's wrong with me? Why is either no one asking me out or 
why don't I want to ask anybody out? Okay? So don't get me wrong here. The family unit is hugely important and even strategic as God moves forward His plan in the world to bring everything uh, under His lordship and under His dominion. But it's not everything. The family is a means to that greater end. Right? And so is singleness. Singleness is a means to that greater end. That God uses both families and people who are single to do that. Okay? And we're going to look at uh, three kind of sub-points in here. Three reasons why singleness is not secondary. Okay? So three truths. The first one is this. That singleness is honored in the Bible. It is upheld as something that is beautiful. In the passages we just read, uh, the one in Matthew, Jesus says, he's telling his disciples and the Pharisees, who were the kind of the super religious people of the day, he tells them that divorce was never the intent from the beginning. Now, what was happening in the first century in that culture, even the religious culture, is that people could, uh, the Jewish rulers, they would allow people to get divorced for all sorts of reasons. Now, this is going to sound crazy, but... Even such things as they would allow a man to divorce his wife if she burnt dinner. (laughs) Whoa. Uh, Yeah, seems a little harsh. It had gotten completely out of control. Um, And so the man could legally and even religiously divorce his wife. Now, Jesus is coming correcting that. He's saying, look, divorce was never intended. And the disciples, because they're so, that's the culture they live in, the, the people who are following Jesus even, they say, what? No divorce? Well, then it's better not to marry And Jesus looks at them and says, yeah, that's kind of right. It's better not to marry. If you can handle that saying, I mean, if you can handle it, it's better not to marry. But some of you can't. Some of you can't handle it. Uh, Your passions are strong and you want to be married. It's just like some of you in here. Some of you are thinking, I think I'd be fine with being single. I really don't need a boyfriend or girlfriend all the time. Or I don't have these lofty dreams about having a husband or a wife. So you may be in that camp. But there are also a certain number of you who um, seem to think about that quite a lot. Um, I did during college for sure. We'll talk about that later. But um, (laughs) uh, you won't have... uh, What Paul's saying is the Bible upholds this and honors this, uh, singleness that is, because there are certain things that will not bind you and tie you down uh, the same as they will to married people. Now, it's it's not a bad tying down. It's just simply the truth. Okay, uh, you can move. Here's an example of how this might play out. That if you graduate from college or whatever and you take a job wherever, say in Tulsa, and you're single, you can, uh, particularly guys on this one, you could move into more dangerous parts of the city, you know, and not because they need you uh, to come and help them, but uh, you can move into different parts of the city to come and bring renewal or to come and, you know, maybe if you have gifts of carpentry to go help people on the weekends and help them do stuff with their houses. You can't do that. I mean, you could. It's just a lot more tricky if you have a wife and kids who you, who you need to protect. Okay? Or um, if you think about, if you're thinking maybe that God might be calling you to the mission field to go serve Him overseas or maybe just in a different part of the United States, wherever that may be, if you're single, you don't have to, you don't have to check with anybody. Now, you might want to give mom and dad that complimentary phone call or uh, say, hey, uh, P.S., I'm actually moving to Ecuador um, come May. But... <laughs> You don't have to kind of work out all the details with, I don't know, a wife or a husband um, who would presumably be going with you. Things like that would be easier. Also, something very practical. If you're not married, you can go serve in hours of the day and night 
that sometimes that people who are married and have children and families, that they just can't. Look, let's be honest. For some of you, the, the night really gets going at about 3 a.m. <laughs> and because of that, you can do things and you can go see the world in ways that I hope never to see the world again. Um, I don't, I don't want to be up at 3 a.m. If I am, I'm changing a diaper and it, I'm not happy about it. Uh, so you can do all sorts of things. Singleness is a gift. It's even a blessing. Okay? Now, some of you can't handle that and you don't want that, and that's okay. But for those of you in here who uh, will be in that situation, whether by choice or whether through circumstance, you don't have to be thinking of yourself as second rate because singleness is honored in the Bible. Okay, kind of second point or B here under this, subpoint. That another truth is that you are not a person in waiting if you're single. That you're not missing out on this great thing that's happening in the world that God is doing. Okay, why do I say that? Well, everything that the Bible has to say about loving people, it's saying it to you as single people. It's, it applies to you. There are two great commandments in the Bible that Jesus sums up for us. He says, love the Lord your God with your, whole, uh, with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. He doesn't have like a little comma phrase that says, if you're married. Um, he just doesn't. So God's command for us to love Him and to love other people is for everyone. Uh, it's for uh, singles and married. Okay? As far as I can tell, the single people in the room here have everything you need to fulfill those commandments and to serve God and to love God and other people, uh, and other people in those ways. Okay, third sub-point here of why uh, a truth, of why singleness is not secondary is that significant people in the Bible were single. I hope this isn't, like, really alarming to you if, if you know much of the Bible at all, okay? Um, look, if God had intended to communicate that married people um, will be the first string in bringing about redemption in the world, then it seems really strange the way He actually did things, right? Jesus was single. <laughs> the Savior of the world was single. And then perhaps the biggest figure, the most prominent figure in the early church as the church was getting going was also single. The Apostle Paul who wrote, I don't know, about half of our New Testament. Pretty important figures, right? Many of us in here, though, uh, live a life that looks a little bit like my second grade football career. Uh, if you think I've gotten past my junior high tragedies, I haven't. This is two out of three weeks I've been talking about them. But um, I think maybe one day they'll pass. Well... Turns out, as a 7th grader, I was not a good football player. Uh, see, previous weeks about being, hadn't gone through puberty yet, just wasn't like, didn't have a lot of muscles and everything like that. So I was second string, because there were two of us, uh, I was a second string running back to a guy named Cade Whaley. Cade, on the other hand, he was a man. Uh, he was a 7th grade man, and he was huge, and he had ridiculous muscles, and he was really fast. Well, uh, we were really, we were winning one game pretty big, and so they pulled Cade out to get some rest. And so that means I was going in. Cade never came out. He was bigger than everyone. He never got hurt. Um, so I went in for a play. One play. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I actually, the, the surprise of all surprises is that they gave me the ball. Like they called my number. I was getting a handoff to go over the right tackle to like run for glory, right? Well, I, I made it three yards, not quite to glory. I made it three yards and got tackled. And it was so awesome because I got to play and I got the ball. And it was wonderful. Uh, but the whole time, 
I knew that I was second string. I knew that this is short-lived. I'm going to get pulled as soon as Cade like, gets a drink of water and is ready to go back in. And that was the truth. I was secondary. Well, as single people, uh, you sometimes uh, get glimpses of being in the game. And whether that's out on dates or maybe in some way you feel like you're actually part of what God's doing in the world. Maybe you have a mission trip or something where you really feel like you're a part of what He's doing. You're part of the team. Then you come back to school or you go home for the summer and life kind of mellows out and you you slip back into this feeling of somehow you're a second-rate Christian or somehow you're secondary to God's plan to work in the world. Okay, that's a myth. That's a lie because very important people in the Bible uh, were single. Uh, I'm going to read a quote here. It's a little lengthy, so I'm actually going to put it up on the thing for us to read. Um, Paige Benton Brown, who I mentioned, I'm getting some of this stuff from tonight. Um, But let's read this. There's some tremendous insights in this. So um, I'm going to stand off and just kind of read it with y'all. It says, Can God be any less good to me on the average Tuesday morning than he was on that monumental Friday afternoon when he hung on a cross in my place? The answer is a resounding no. God will not be less good to me tomorrow either because he cannot be less good to me. If he fluctuated one quirk in his goodness, he would cease to be God. His goodness is not the effect of his disposition, but the essence of his person. Not an attitude, but an attribute. You see what she's saying? That God's loving us, his goodness toward us, isn't like our decision to go be nice to someone. It's bound up in who he is as God. It's one of his attributes, his goodness. It doesn't change. So down at the bottom, it is a cosmic impossibility that anything could be better for me right now than being single. Okay, let's go to the next page. Such a knowledge of God must transform such subsequent knowledge of self. Theological readjustment is always the catalyst for renewed self-awareness. What she's saying in that is this. That when we find out something about God, in this case, His goodness, that that doesn't change. That when we know that that is true and that God is unchanging, then we have to look at ourselves and say... Well, how does that, if that's true, what does that mean about me right now? Okay, and that's what she's talking about. We'll keep going. It says, this keeps identity right. Uh, right side up with nouns and modifiers in their correct place. And this is really beautiful. She asked the question, am I a Christian single or am I a single Christian? The discrepancy in grammatical construction may be somewhat subtle, but the difference in mindset is profound. You see, we singles are chronic amnesiacs. We forget who we are. We forget whose we are. I am a single Christian. My identity is not found in my marital status, but in my redemptive status. Paige is looking at her own life and saying, Look, I am single. It is hard, but God is good. And that's what matters most. It's not my marital status. It's not your dating status that matters. It's your redemptive status. Are you in Christ? Are you trusting in Christ? Are you a Christian? That ought to define you. So simply put, does it? Are you defined by what God says about you through your faith in Christ? Or do you, do you live your life day in, day out, practically believing and thinking that who you are and your worth or your place in God's plan or His kingdom is somehow bound up in your dating status or one day in your marital status. 
Something to think about. Second point tonight. Uh, that not only is it a myth, to not, uh, myth that singleness is secondary in God's plan, it is also a myth that singleness is an excuse for selfishness. Okay? Singleness is not a license. Newsflash. Singleness is not a license for a Christian to do whatever you want with your life. Now hear that in one sense. I'm not saying you have to just do like this narrow, like you have to go be an engineer, you have to go be a missionary. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that um, there are obvious benefits to being single. Okay, namely that no one else is going to have a claim on your money or your time. Those are the two kind of obvious ones. No one else, you're not going to have to talk to a spouse or a, someone you're dating about that. I hope you're not planning lots of dating, <laughs> like money talks anyway. But um, you're never going to have to do that if you're single. You are your own decision maker when it comes to these things. Now, because of that, it's entirely possible for us in this room who are single to make an idol out of that independence. To look at the fact that you, you could literally and genuinely say, I can do whatever I want. And if you make an idol of that, what that turns into, excuse me, is that you look up and say, I don't want to commit because I want to do what I want to do. Okay? And that becomes the decision maker in all of your life. And it plays out this way. Some of you uh, will say this. I know that I want to be a doctor so that I, uh, so I shouldn't even start dating until I'm in med school. Heard that? I know, second one, I know that I want to go to this really good grad school on the East Coast and I can't, stop dating, I can't start dating someone here because they may keep me from going there. Okay? Uh, thirdly, um, the, uh, I don't want to date because I want to keep that money so that I can spend it on myself or on computer games or on cute clothes or whatever it is. Fill in the blank. Whatever it is that you tend to spend your money on. Or, um, actually, that's it. Uh, the most noticeable thing... <laughs> uh, let me add one. Just kidding. Um, the most noticeable thing about these plans that you guys make is the, st- the striking presence of I and the striking absence of God. <laughs> that you're very quick to say, this is what I've decided that I should do. And we kind of pray down God's blessing. Like, God, uh, I, this is what I'm doing, and come knock over that building if you want me to do something different. Um, and we, so we, we do. We kind of go through life, and we're like, oh, it seems like everything's okay. Um, instead of saying something like this, uh, well, let me just point this out. I know that I want to be a doctor so that I know I shouldn't even start dating until I'm in med school. I want to go to East Coast grad school so I know that I shouldn't start dating until I get over there. Or I want to spend money on what my money on things that I want, so I don't want to spend them on somebody else. At what point does um, does God's kind of His lordship over your life, His uh, His dominion over your life, come into play? Because here's the truth: that when you trust in Jesus as a Savior to forgive you of your sins, which He definitely does, and He is that's what He came to do in one sense. Um, that's the beginning of many other things that he came to do. Um, when you have Jesus as Savior, then you also necessarily get him as Lord. And what that means is that um, you don't get absolute say over what you want to do with everything in your life. Okay? You don't get absolute say over that. Now, for some of you, that's actually the reason that you're not a Christian. 
because you don't like the idea of submitting yourself to somebody else or to God or to the Bible, God's Word. To you, that feels constraining or oppressive in some way. But C.S. Lewis captures this, uh, this kind of position very articulately and beautifully when he says this, that this mentality that you have is equivalent to, to fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered you. It is like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is offered by a holiday at the sea. That you thinking that you want absolute control over your life is actually you having a very shallow view of what it means to to be under God and His Lordship. What Lewis is saying, what I'm arguing, is that being under God is a life of joy and freedom. It's the life you're intended to live. But it feels oppressive. It feels constraining. But when the Apostle Paul says in the 1 Corinthians passage that married people and single people will struggle with different things due to their different circumstances, he concludes by saying, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, not to, not to make it harder, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. He's saying, look, I, y'all each have, married people have your own worries and single people have your own worries. But I'm, I'm kind of spelling this out, he's saying. I'm spelling these things out so that you can serve, so that you can give yourself to the Lord. And that's going to be for your good, he's saying. So whether you're a Christian, whether you're a Christian that is single now and desires to be married, or whether you're a Christian or not a Christian who is uh, single now and has no intentions of being married, your calling is to follow the Lord Jesus and to seek with Him the redemption and the restoration of all things, which is what we're doing in Joplin. We're going there uh, to, to help people and to show them that Jesus is interested in this earth and He wants us to be interested in it too, and so we go and help people. Okay. But just as it is possible to have an idolatry of independence, of doing whatever you want, it's also a temptation for those of us who are single to have an idolatry of dependence. To have an idolatry of dependence on other people. And that looks this way. Um, That your mentality is, is that you won't be complete as a person until you find the one. Right, guys and girls? You know about the one. The one who you have in your mind that you will finally be who you are supposed to be when you meet that person. And when you start dating and it'll be all smiles and everything's going to be so awesome. And maybe you might fight, but it'll still be so great. Right? Or, and or, um, you take on this mentality of saying, I'm going to manipulate my life in every certain way so that I can become the one that someone else would want to be with. You have this subtle idolatry of dependence and that makes you either position yourself to be the one or to go searching and spending all your time trying to find the one. Okay, Uh, you know you have an idol then. You know that that has become something that you are worshiping. When you've created or you have in your mind something that is validating your entire existence. When you can look at whatever it is and say, until I have that blank, then I'm not going to be who I'm meant to be. I'm not going to be fully me as a person or as a human. The Bible calls that idolatry. 
Um, soon after my now wife Sarah and I started dating, we had to have a real honest conversation one afternoon uh, near her kitchen. Um, and we both had to kind of look at each other and admit that we both had this unhealthy idolatry of marriage. That we had so longed to be married because marriage is a good thing. Please don't hear me saying otherwise. Marriage is a great thing. But we had this unhealthy longing and we thought, oh, we're just not going to be, I'm not going to be fully Brent and she's not going to be fully, fully Sarah until we get married. And we had to look at each other and repent and confess and say, that is not good. And until we did that, we were going to constantly expect the other person to give us things that only God can give us. Because only He can satisfy us at the deepest levels. Hear me, hear me say again that it's valid and right to long to be married. But as Ricky Jones here in town has said many years ago, he said, because it's glorious in an ideal world, which marriage is, it's glorious in, an, in a very ideal world, it becomes very dangerous in a fallen world. Because marriage can be so beautiful and so wonderful in such an instrument of sanctification or change in our lives for the good, it's very tempting for it to become, it, it's, it can become very dangerous in the here and now. Um, being single then is not a curse. Because of that, it's not a curse. It might even be a blessing. Look, let me, uh, let's talk about this with you real quick. If you're struggling in here uh, to either end of this spectrum, and you're believing either the myth that says um, that my time is for me to do whatever I want, that selfishness is manifesting itself in that way in your life, that I just want to do whatever I want, or it's come to the other end where you have this uh, unhealthy view of selfishness, a dependence uh, uh, idolatry, then you need to hear this. Is that it's time... Uh, I'm sorry, let me, let me catch here. Um, that God is not withholding from you anything that you need right now. And that's the gospel. That's the good news. Is that God is not waiting for you to get married before He makes you who you were supposed to be. You can be that as you were single. Now, can you take your singleness and say, that is the gift that God has given me today. That's His gift for me. That's where I am. He is good and I can trust Him. Can you say that? Now, if you can't, I want you to listen up. Because if you can't say that, that you can trust that your singleness is where God wants you to be, then you need to go to Him and be real honest and tell Him that. Say, God, I'm struggling to believe that my singleness is right where you want me to be. I'm struggling to believe that. And ask Him to convince you that what He's giving you, what He's given you on the cross, on that Friday afternoon on the cross, 2,000 years ago, is more important than you ever finding a boyfriend or a girlfriend. What He gave you that day, the life that He bought for you that day, is more important than ever finding a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Ask Him if He would show that to you. If He would help you to believe that if you don't. And when you do believe that, then you can take whatever He gives you as a gift. Whatever stage you're in, you can see it as God's gift to you. Okay, thirdly tonight and lastly, I want us to see that it is a myth that singleness is somehow a test. It is a myth to say that if I pass the test of singleness, 
then God will will reward me with a spouse. That somehow I know that God is just testing me right now. And He's trying to see if I'm faithful. And if I'll be content in this time of singleness. And if I prove myself worthy, then He'll give me a wife. Or then He'll give me a husband or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or whatever it is. That's equivalent... uh, I'm sorry. um, That we've talked about... uh, (laughs) What I'm trying to say is that um, God is not withholding anything from us. And that He's not waiting to bring you into this state of liberation. That is dating. Or maybe one day marriage. Okay? God is not testing you and waiting to bring you there. Okay? And this myth takes on some of these tones. First one, that you have to stop searching for love and let love find you. Have you ever heard that? you ever believed that? I did. Um, and the way that that plays out, it's like, well, so what am I supposed to do if someone ever tells you that, if you're believing that? Are you supposed to sit on your hands and just like, okay, I guess I'll just wait until love like comes up and talks to me. I don't know. Um, I would suggest that that kind of patience will produce its own sort of anxieties. That um, if you are always just sitting on your hands waiting for love to come find you, then as soon as any guy or girl comes and talks to you, you're going to, in the back of your mind, if not verbally, be thinking, Oh my gosh, are you love? <laughs> are you it? I've been, I've been waiting my whole life. And some of you are thinking, yeah, that happened on the first date last week with that guy. You know, that we feel like we have to rush into this because we're always wondering, like, is this it? Oh my gosh. Mom, you told me that and now it's happening. Whatever it is, okay? Uh, that can uh, produce its own sort of anxiety. Uh, that's kind of a veiled patience. I would say it's not patience, actually. Um, it may also look this way. Um, I heard a, a girl in college uh, say, and this isn't just for girls, a guy would say it too, oh, I'm just dating God right now. Um, and some of you may have said that, uh, I'm sorry. Um, as if to imply that a dating or romantic relationship is somehow the norm for a Christian life. <laughs> that because I'm not dating someone else here on earth, that uh, I'm just going to date God, actually, and I'm, I'm off the market, or at least you can say you're off the market if somebody you don't like asks you out. It's really convenient. Um, but the, the idea is that somehow God is putting us in relationships to test our contentment level, whether that's our contentment with Him in this relationship or just in ourselves that we're okay in our singleness. God, it is a myth to think that God is testing you in your singleness and that one day He's going to unload the reward on you because you've done it well. Remember, God's goodness does not change, as we read. His goodness to you does not change based on your faithfulness or your contentment in whatever stage of life it is. It is one of His attributes. It is not a passing attitude. I want us to think about this question. How content did Jesus have to be before God was going to give Him a wife? If this is your mentality that God is somehow testing us, what did Jesus have to do to get a wife? Apparently he failed, whatever it may have been. Um, How many tests did he have to pass before God rewarded him? Look, it's a myth and a lie that somehow singleness is a test from God. Paige, who I quoted earlier at length, she says this, and she's speaking as a single person when she wrote this, 
She said, accepting singleness, whether temporary or permanent, does not hinge on speculation about answers God has not given to our list of whys, but rather on celebration of the life that He has given. I am not single because I am too spiritually unstable to possibly deserve a husband, nor because I am too spiritually mature to possibly need a husband. I am single because God is so abundantly good to me. I am single because this is His best for me. What I want more, uh, what I want for you, but more importantly, what God wants for you is for you to be so content with the grace of God that is offered in Jesus Christ alone that you never doubt God's love, that you never doubt His approval or His acceptance or His forgiveness. He wants you to be overwhelmed by His grace. And he wants you to bring that into he wants you to he wants that to bring you into a position of stability, into a position of trust on him, in okayness in your existential life that you live. God is not waiting uh, for some future point of spiritual attainment to reward you. That is not who he is. If your trust is in Jesus alone and what he has already done for you on the cross and through the resurrection then you are already as loved by God as you ever will be. I want you to know that God is good and that you can trust Him. I want you to be able to live your whole life knowing that. Okay? Conclusion is very short. Last week I said conclusion went on for 10 more minutes. Not the case this time. In conclusion, uh, when you see that singleness is not God's relegation to second string, or that it's not somehow, uh, God's, uh, it's not somehow a time for selfishness or even a test by God, then you can begin to look at God and know that He is already for you. He is on your team right now. He is for you in whatever stage you're in. And that actually led the Apostle Paul to say elsewhere from Romans 8. And he asked this, he said, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, how will He not also graciously give us all things? But God already gave what is most precious for you. His own Son. He loved you. The Gospel is not about what you can do or give to God. It is all about what God has already given you in Christ. And this applies if you're single or if you're married or whatever. And if you're a Christian, then what God is withholding nothing from you. He's not waiting to bless you. And if you're not a Christian, then consider this an invitation to a good God who does not withhold from you, but who when you accept His Son and the forgiveness that that is offered, He blesses you richly as a single, as a married person, as a dating person, wherever you are. He graciously gives all sorts of gifts to His people in all sorts of stages of life.